I can tell by the look in your eyes You've been hurting You know I'll never let you down Oh no And I'll try anything to keep it working You gave me time to find out What my heart was looking for And what I'm feeling inside In your eyes I want to see your love again In your eyes I never want the feeling to end It took some time to find the line But now I realize I can see the heaven in your eyes Can't you see I'm finding it hard to let go Everything Film with Film Robot, presented by Agency Click. Joe Leary and Patrick Shelton on BNN Bloomberg 1410 AM, also 103.5 FM HD3. Uh, we're here with Mike Reno, and you know what? I, I can see the heaven in his eyes. Can you? Oh, stop. Yes. <laughs> stop. After all these years, yeah. he's still a good-looking man, eh? Patrick, come on. Mike, oh. stop. Mike, <laughs> heaven in your eyes, Top Gun. How does that come about? Well, to be honest with you, Joe, I think it probably came about from the fact that I had so much success with uh, uh, Almost Paradise. From Footloose. From Footloose. Another big movie. And they just said, well, let's get, you know, let's get that guy. And I happened to be in the band Loverboy. When I did the the song for Footloose, it was just me and Ann Wilson and a producer and, and a studio band. And... I think they said, we got to get something like that. Anyway, so we got a call, and it was to Bruce's office, Bruce Allen's office, and they said uh, they wanted to meet me. So I f- flew down to Paramount Studios in Los Angeles and got the hotel, you know, never even got a hotel. Went from the airport to Paramount Studios. My name was at there. I, was, I couldn't believe I went through the Paramount, you know, entranceway, just with the, the whole look. Oh, that's neat. 
and I'm there. I go up to to the office, and the 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 secretary goes, "You just go right in." So I go in this giant office with really high ceilings, it's a very huge office. And in the middle of the room is a popcorn maker, popping fresh popcorn. The place smelled great. And these two guys are walking from one end of the building, and they're crossing like ships in the night, talking to each other the whole time and crossing, you know, doing ideas. And finally, they both stop and go, "Can we help you?" And it was uh, Don Simpson and uh, Jerry Brookheimer. And I said, well, you guys wanted to see me. My name's Mike Reno. I just flew down from Vancouver. They go, oh, 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 good, good, good. And this is the kind of people they were. And they went, we, we, we want you to watch something. Come over here, Mike. And so they go over to this little TV area, and they throw a tape in. And it shows this black Porsche Speedster going up the hill, chasing this motorcycle that's way ahead of her. It's a girl in the car. Tom Cruise in the motorcycle. He peels into this this uh, roadside bar, and he's all feeling weird and emotional. And he puts a quarter in the jukebox, and he goes, "Can you write a song for that?" <laughs> and I went, "For when he drops the coin in." I went, "Absolutely, I can, guys." You know, <laughs> doing my best. You know, Western <laughs> Canadian. Yeah, no problem. And I didn't know. You know. And uh, I said, okay. I said, uh, when do you need it by? And he goes, Thursday. And I said, this Thursday? And he goes, yeah. And I went, you guys know it's Tuesday, right? I go, you want me to write this, record it, and get it back to you by Thursday? And they went, Yeah. And I guess in L.A. that's how it happens. But I had yeah. to fly all the way home to Vancouver. Right. And so I phoned ahead and said, you know that song we were working on with, with Dexter? Let's get that going. And as soon as I land, I'll come to the studio and we'll, we'll, we'll get it going. And so I did. We all got going on it. We did the song, mixed it, and took it back down there for Thursday. <laughs> and they couldn't believe it. And that's how it happened. And that I think that record that soundtrack sold 27 million records wow at least and i think it's still selling so it's a two-day turnaround i'm getting that straight it was unbelievable i couldn't even believe we did it ourselves except that it was like the two, two longest days of my life you know but it was like one of those things that sometimes somebody asks you to do something and you know it's totally impossible but you do it anyways wow right? so inquiring minds need to know yeah does Mike Reno throw a figure at them going, yeah, here's what I charge for that? Or do they say, hey, Mr. Reno, here's what we're paying for that? How does that work? Money's never discussed. That's done with the management? Yeah. And they just probably get X and X amount and then some points. With points on the record means you get a percentage, which has done us very well. And, then, you know, that's what Bruce Allen, that's what he does. Bruce have have you that. ever met... Mr. Cruz, has Cruz ever gone, oh, you're the guy that did Heaven in Your Eyes? <laughs> Not yet, no. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to meeting him. I think he's a very talented actor. does a lot of great shows, some of my favorite shows he's in. Well, on that note, actually, that's a good segue for what uh, I'd like to talk about is you have met a lot of people and uh, you know that were on the labels that you've been, and you know maybe you got a few stories there, some insights you could let us know. It's kind of cool. You know, we've got to meet many people over the years. Uh, one of the most interesting, there was a couple of them, but... One of the most interesting was uh, we got asked to do uh, a, a giveaway, a, an award on the American Music Awards. 
and it was a Dick Clark production. He'd kind of become our friends over the years. Remember, I was telling you earlier. And, you know, we treated him like a father, and he treated us like we were his kids, and he, he always kept us going. So he asked us if we'd give an award away, and, and the award, we, we announced the award, and the winner was Michael Jackson. And he comes up on stage, and he's got his glove on, of course. And he goes, thank you, boys, you know. <laughs> and it was all good. It was, it was a big deal for me. And then we got to meet afterwards. He's not that talkative, you know. He's kind of like, he's very childlike, was very childlike. He acted that way anyways. I don't think he was actually childlike, but he acted that way. Well, interesting, but the best one, I'm in the marquee, uh, Sunset Marquee, in, uh, basically in Hollywood. We really like to stay there because it was kind of like the Melrose, you know, it had a pool in the middle and the, all the uh, rooms were looking down at the pool. It was fun, the palm trees, very nice. And it wasn't super fancier, but it was a nice vibe. And the place was full of the flock of seagulls were there. And I, I, when I was checking in, um, uh, there was a whole bunch of people in the front. It was just like, it, it was like a big concert, right? Stevie Ray Vaughan was standing there with his hat on and his leather uh, vest. And I said, that's a little short guy. I said, that's Stevie Ray Vaughan. I just, this is so cool. <laughs> so I'm there uh, one time. We stayed there quite a bit. But one time I went up to get, uh, to go out for the evening. And I, there's a little bar and it has two, uh, high top tables and that's the whole bar it's right by the front door it's a small hotel I think now they call them boutique hotels Joe <laughs> and I sit down and I have I, I order a beer just for something to do while I'm waiting and I'm sitting there I had a sip of my beer and I'm just minding my own business all by myself and a guy walks in sits beside me and orders a beer I realize to myself without looking at him it's Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so I look. I don't really look at Bruce. I say to myself, you know, Springsteen. But I don't make any. And he goes across. He goes, aren't you Mike Reno from Loverboy? And I just went, are you kidding me? And he goes, get over here. We're on the same label. And he was a super nice guy. And we had a beer together and we chatted. And then he took off what he was doing. And I went where I was doing. That's just a few. that I shared a limousine with uh, the guys at uh, uh, Men at Work. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, we went to an award show. Uh, we used to hang out with some of the famous models, you know, the Cheryl Teagues of the time. And it was, it was a fun time, you know, in, yeah. in our lives. Uh, we, we experienced some amazing things. Uh, we also got a gifted... Uh, the top floor of the Chrysler building is this amazingly cool goth kind of thing. You know how the Chrysler building looks? Well, if you're on that top floor, it looks really great. It's like Batman's house, right? And we had been celebrated for selling over 5 million records, I think it was our second record, out of our own country. So that was a big celebration. Mm -hmm. And the only other one who had won that award was, at the time was uh, Barbra Streisand. And I thought, wow, this is a real honor. And it was, it was unbelievable. The, going out with the presidents of Columbia Records, having dinner with these people, hanging out at steakhouses. I mean, you've got to imagine this has been like uh, an amazing experience for me. Mm -hmm. Mike, I've met a, much, a bunch of uh, artists that were part of the British invasion 
of the 60s. And I was curious to ask them, was it really competitive or were you all kind of in the same fraternity, if you will? And the consensus is that generally everybody, the Beatles were in first place. Yeah. But everybody came along afterwards, whether it's the zombies or the animals or Freddie and the Dreamers <laughs> or Jerry and the Pacemakers, yeah. they were all pretty clicky together and pretty tight because they were all going for the same cause to put British music on the map. You know, you talk about some of the heavyweights that you shared the label with, and these are some of the biggest names in music, and you're right up there with them. You know, was there, did Journey like Loverboy? Did, did Cheap Trick like Loverboy? Did Loverboy like Cheap Trick? Or are we going, you know what, we're going we're gonna to kick their ass on the charts? Well, we became friends with all these guys. It was really great. Uh, Cheap Trick are still friends of ours. Um, they didn't really know who we were, but they were doing a cross-Canada tour, I think, it was at least up to Winnipeg. And they had us on the tour. I guess maybe the record company worked it out. I think they're also on Columbia. I think they're on Epic. Good old <laughs> Lenny Pizzi. And, uh, and they just got a kick out of the stuff. They were, that crowd's eating these guys up. So they'd come out and watch the show and go, these guys, are, these guys are good. And that was an honor. And they got to know us for that reason because um, of the music. We, we never were all that competitive. You know, we just went up and did our thing. We were very respectful whenever we got invited to do a tour with somebody else. I remember when we first toured with Kansas. Right. Uh, he, Steve Walsh was one of my favorite singers in, of all time. And we got a chance to play with him every night. And they didn't probably know us from Adam because we were just breaking into the States at the time. And But after about three nights and the crowd was going crazy because we were getting a lot of radio airplay and selling a lot of records. And Kansas hadn't really their head wasn't in that part of it they were just doing their shows and stuff and finally they start hearing the crowds cheering and you can hear them from the dressing room right and then so they come out and watch and go what's going on and we became great with friends with theirs we're still friends with them as well and i used to watch steve Walsh sing every concert every night and i couldn't believe how fantastic he was i mean just the That's... best one of the best of all times and I, it was a real honor for me to do you know, Bruce Allen used to go, come on, let's get out of here. we got to get moving to the next town, which is true because we used to, fl we used to uh, drive at night, and, you know. You know, uh, you know you, when you really made it, though, we've come to the conclusion when you come across a Mike Reno impersonator or oh. a cover, and, uh, yeah, we were talking a little bit offline about that, and we were talking about people that have done that. And so the day you come across somebody that's impersonating you, assuming your identity... How does that make you feel? And maybe you could tell us about that. Usually it would be a compliment, right? Yeah. Until the FBI contact you and go, do you know that there's somebody impersonating you and they're going across country li county lines and uh, state lines, which is a federal crime, and we're about to give this guy a wake-up call, and we just wanted you to know, because we'd been receiving at our office uh, all these um, uh, calls from upset parents saying, this Mike Reno has got my daughter and Nancy and taken her to concert after concert. And apparently this guy would run up all these uh, limousine bills. He would take a limousine from like Los Angeles to Phoenix, you know, Arizona. And everything would be great. And, that he'd be, and the guy was fooling all these people that it was Mike Reno. But could he sing and everything? Could he no, actually do it? Or was it just no. more just a look? He looked he just, like you? He, he I looked guess like you? I didn't even see him. No. But I heard that he had pulled it off to the point where he'd fooled a lot of people. And it was a big deal, I guess. And this guy wow. got in some trouble. And I don't know what happened after that. But there was incidences that happened. You know, when you get to a certain level, people, 
you know, do things and they, uh, you know, they yeah. try to get money off the band as the organization. I mean, it's, I bet it's happened to a lot of bands. Mike Reno is our guest. Everything Film, presented by Film Robot. Agency Click presents, broadcasting on BNN Bloomberg, 1410 AM, 103.5 FM, HD3. And you can also uh, check us out, Spotify. You can stream the show. You can download the podcast. Agency Click, one word on Spotify. Now, I, I want to ask you, um, going back in time, when you break, and, and again, the music industry has changed so dramatically. You talked earlier about being on the radio and what a big deal that was. It's not the big deal anymore. It's nice to have it, but it doesn't. It's not the, the all-encompassing thing. Anybody can record an, an album. Anybody can make music. Anybody can get it to the world. But back in the day when you launched, there's you're young, there's money, there's fame. Why didn't you go nuts? What what, what kept you guys grounded? Did you have did was Bruce there to crack the whip, or did you just have the common sense to go? This can go one of two ways. It can either end up really well, or, or I could be uh, on a tombstone in, in any time. <laughs> well, Joe, it did go one or two ways. <laughs> one of two ways, a couple of times. Uh, you know, there was moments, you know, when everybody got a little out of line, and, you know, we, we had to dial it back in here and there. You know, let's be real. It was the 80s. But when we were doing over 200 shows a year, Try to think about doing that many shows and then an album. So not only do you have to do all the shows, all the appearances, all the radio shows, all the TV stuff, all the videos, you had to write another album, do all those concerts, and then record another album, and then take, try to take two weeks off before you go back at it again. You didn't have time to completely go nuts because if you did, it just wouldn't have gone anywhere. It would have stopped. So we just knew that was... And we just were so happy to have... Uh, you know, to be in that position that we didn't want to completely jeopardize it by being total idiots. I mean, it could have easily happened, and it's happened to a lot of people. Lord knows I've seen it happen. I know people what it has happened to. One of the things I was going to mention, Mike, is that I look back at some of these 80s bands, and you guys included, it was hard work. And I, I actually remember watching, like, your drummer, Matt, and he was so intense and he was sweating to the point where I thought, is that guy going to fall over? And of course, yeah. he, you know, of course, you do the spin with the, uh, you got to do that, right? You got to be able to spin the um, sticks, the oh, sticks yeah. right? Gotta, like yeah. that's just, you know, do that. And he stands up on And he's doing it and doing it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I remember looking at him going, okay. And then I looked at you guys and everything. And I had to say, and, and I'm going to ask you straight up, did you ever have a performance where you felt like you're going to hit the wall? You couldn't sing another note? Were you ever, did you ever take it to the limit of exhaustion? Almost every night. Did you? Really? That's how much we put into the shows. Yeah. We really gave it everything and more, and we did it all the time. And I, could, and I, could, I can really see that when I look back at some of that. Like, just hard work, I, right? I, you know, it's funny you mention this, because I just finished watching a show we did in 1982. Yeah. Paul just finished redoing the whole thing. He redid it. The edits, redid the sound, just remixed it so it sounds great. It was, I think, uh, something on CBC radio or tv recorded the whole thing anyways we ended up putting we're going to be putting it out again and it was i watched the show and i watched the whole thing and paul had turned it into an hour and after i, I had i watched it with headphones up on my studio because it was at late at night and i didn't want to bother the whole neighborhood and after i watched it i got i was sweating i phoned him and i said <laughs> oh my god you know <laughs> 
were we really like that? It was like one song after another, after another. Yeah, was just yeah. Turn, you just turn around and wipe your forehead, have a quick sip of something, then get back out there. And I said, we should put a little piece of something in between some of those songs to stretch that whole thing out to an hour and a half. I said, I nearly had a heart attack watching this again. I mean, it was yeah, so yeah, intense. Yes. And that was the concert we did here to wrap up that uh, that tour we had that year. And it was in the Pacific Coliseum here. And not to mention the hot lights and the, the, the adrenaline that must be on that stage at certain times where you just, they're like, yeah. you know, the high, high level, right? Luckily, we were in tip-top shape. You know, yeah, we were yeah, young. Yeah. You know, we could, we could do that. Topolis are trying to make us still do it. <laughs> and we're just not that young anymore. Pat. So when, when we look at the career of Loverboy, there's certainly the highs, there's the multi-platinum albums, there's the million-selling singles. Uh, but uh, you suffered a loss in 2000 with uh, Scott Smith passing Boy, away. Did we ever. What, what is that like? Because you guys are a dynamic. There's a, there's a band dynamic. You're a family. You're a brotherhood. All of a sudden, one of you isn't there. What goes through the mind, other than the grief, the natural grief for your friend, but from a business point of view, point of view, the show must go on. How, how did you deal with that? That broke us, Joe. That was really sad. We, we stopped, and we, everybody actually turned to me and went, oh, man, this is going to kill Reno, because Scott and I were best friends. We did a lot together, and it's tough. Um, you know, we really had such a camaraderie like you said right from the beginning it was five men we were all in it together all working hard for to an objective and to lose a guy like that i went to san francisco and i looked for him for a week the coast guard helped me they take me to all the beaches and all the places where things could have you know maybe ended or washed up it's kind of sad the whole thing and then Finally, they, they told me that we're probably not going to find him here. It's one of those kind of bays that it just, things go in and out really fast, and it just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So that was a real heartbreak. And the rest of the guys just, they said, it's up to you what happens from now on, Mike. They put it to me and said, you know, whatever you think's best. And uh, no pressure, but... It's whatever you think, you know, you just do whatever you think. Take as much time as you need and tell us what you feel like doing. And that's kind of where it started. Then we just, after about a month, I just said, maybe we should go down to the rehearsal hall and, and uh, you know, turn the amps on again and maybe invite a few guys down to see if we can, uh, you know, we'll probably never be able to replace them, but we had to do something. It's, and the reason being... So many fans had uh, writ written in and emailed us that it's a horrible thing that happened, but it would be even horrible if the world lost the band. And that really meant a lot to all of us because they were so respectful of the band. We're going to pause on that note, take a break, and come back with one remaining segment. Well, let's talk about what's going on with Mike Reno in the COVID world and what can we expect when we get through all this. It is Everything Film on BNM Bloomberg, 1410 AM, 1035 FM, HD3.